All righty. Welcome, everyone. I think we are live. Welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I am joined, as always, by the Batman Majama, Carrie Smith. Carrie. Hi. I feel like I just saw you. You did, although they don't know that because we haven't actually published the... Uh, we haven't actually published Kofefi from this morning yet. We are just too busy. Someday <laughs> we will be rolling in the cash and we'll have someone who does video editing all the time. And Carrie and I will just focus on on content. But right now, we're in startup mode. So we would we'd be cleaning the bathrooms if we had bathrooms, but we don't. We don't even have an, we don't have an office. Uh, so, but yeah, it's good. Um, just, we should probably give a quick synopsis of what we're doing with deprogrammed generally. First of all, I think it's going to kind of permanently switch to 10 a.m. Pacific time. For those of you who are used to 11 a.m. Pacific time, sorry, but this is what we got. So this is, we're working with what we got. So 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, we could theoretically switch the day. So, you know, again, our audience isn't that big. So if you guys have preferences for days if they can work with schedules then we can switch days but as of now i think we're switching to 10 a.m pacific time for deprogrammed also although we do like interviewing people and we are going to have uh we have several people lined up and we're going to continue to do interviews a lot of them i think are going to be not part of deprogrammed because what carrie and i really want to have deprogrammed super focused on is this unraveling the social justice ideology and Yes. And that, I mean, that's what, how this started. Yeah. Was, this is more about, um, about, uh, as we've said, it's about untangling my old ideology episode by episode and trying to make it more understandable, not just for myself and for Carter, but for anybody who is just coming into contact with it, maybe because they have a loved one who has started espousing some of these tenants, um, you know, talking about uh, male privilege or toxic masculinity or or white fragility or whatever. So yeah, we really want to just keep it focused on SJW stuff. And so a lot of the um, people that recently we were talking about booking don't really fall into this category. We will have guests again. It's just uh, yeah, but we're gonna and we will have guests that aren't focused on this particular topic, right? We don't want to be stuck shoehorning people into talking about social justice when that's not really what their area of expertise or not where the conversation's going. And plus I really enjoyed, uh, Oh, thank you, Pete. This description still says 11. I'll change that. Uh, <laughs> but I really enjoyed last week. I found it really helpful to go through Peggy McIntosh's knapsack article. And we realized that we have this great resource in Carrie who has, is a trained expert in all of this stuff. So we really should use you more, Carrie. You've got, books that you read in college and courses you took and knowledge of stuff that, you know, you said when you said to me, hey, do you know Simone de Beauvoir? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea who that is. But um, but maybe I should. So that's what we're doing. So today we're going to walk through or we're not going to walk through a whole book. We're going to talk about her book called The Second Sex. Right. It, it's a little, it would be a little hard to do just in an hour, an hour and a half. Also, I haven't read the book in 20 years. I've just gone through the cliff notes with you <laughs> to try to prepare for this. Read some excerpts, so, went to the 
cliff notes. Um, yes. But you re- you have read the book, just not recently. Yes. Um, so she she was a French existentialist um, and feminist. In the forties, right? In the forties, right? And so this book that she wrote called "The Second Sex" in 1949 um, is the basis of a lot of feminist theory and is one of the must read books if you're taking women's studies. She it, she's one of the ones who helped to uh, promote this idea that that gender is a social construct, that sex is a social construct. So some of that, if you trace its roots back, goes back to um, goes back to this book, which was divided into two books. It was it was two volumes. Now she was uh, is she kind of cons- my understanding is she's kind of considered um, an early founder of second wave feminism, even though second wave feminism really didn't come into its own until the sixties. She was kind of the the one of the early kind of founders of that movement. Is that correct or that school of thought? Correct. Because okay. I think about uh, at least the way I was taught in women's studies, first first wave feminism was more about attaining equal rights, rights under the law, right? So you think of suffragettes, you know, people who are out there saying women deserve their the right to vote. Um, second wave feminism is what we think of it's like the 1960s, the bra burning, which supposedly didn't happen, but that's what we think of. Uh, we think second wave feminism was more about equality in culture and in society. So there was another great, there was another important book that we should look at, uh, which I have met, read more recently, um, uh, Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique. That was another one that kind of laid the groundwork, I would say for second wave feminism. So this book, I mean, something that and then, stood out- And then just quickly, and then third wave feminism, came about when I was in college. Yeah. Third wave was kind of, it started off as uh, I don't know. It's, it's really different. They, they argue now on what wave we're in. Are we still in third wave? Are we in fourth wave? Who knows? But third wave was more of like, uh, um, you know, this idea, at least when I was, when I, 20 years ago, third wave was all about like the riot girl movement. It was, it was throwing off standards of beauty, but at the same time, embracing certain traditional standards of beauty and saying, you know, I can wear lipstick and high heels and, and I can, I can, uh, I can, I can act out these gender norms that some of the second waivers rejected or that radical feminists. Like with third waivers, like not anti-porn where second waivers were anti-porn. Is that? Uh, for the most part, there are people who don't, you know, fall into those generalizations, but yeah, for the most part, you would see third waivers were like sex positive, right? That's when you started seeing all the stuff about like, sex workers and right. um and being yeah and being pro-porn and now arguing about what wave of feminism we're in at this point is kind of like i, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> what wave of when hell you're or... yourself what course of dinner is that is that the third course or the fourth course i i don't know what circle so, of hell are we in <laughs> yeah now i um one thing that struck me about this is uh, there are a few things just off the top one is she used a phrase which I kind of thought was a new phrase. Yeah, we talked about it earlier this week that a politician used lived experience. experience. <laughs> is this where it came from? Uh, I'm pretty sure this is where it came from. Don't quote me on that, but yes, it's much older than you think because she she divided the second sex into two two volumes: um, facts and myths, and then lived experience. It is an old feminist concept. I had not, I was not aware of that. Um, the other thing that I 
noticed is she kind of explicitly says, what's the phrase? Let me find the phrase. She says, uh, women can only achieve total freedom while working if she's in a socialist society, which gives you a hint right away that something's wrong because to use the word freedom and socialist society in the same sentence indicates some sort of misunderstanding of one of those concepts, at least. But Well, and it also directly shows you the relationship uh, to, to Marxism. Yes. The, the relationship here to that ideal, you know, we call, and I just was in a argument with someone earlier today on social media who just doesn't, I'm continually amazed by people who are like, what are you talking about Marxism? This is just progressivism. And I'm like, oh, like, we don't teach people enough about Marxism. Okay. So people have no idea that this thing they're out there preaching is a very old concept, but, but yes, I like this because she's very blatantly showing the connection there. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, I actually had a, uh, a quick discussion with someone on Twitter today who was arguing that it wasn't actually Marxism. It was really more like the Bismarck method, but I, my my view on this, we do use the word Marxism a little bit sloppily, not just us, everyone. The, the truth is, it's collectivist totalitarian ideology. Now, there's lots of flavors of that. Yes. But uh, Marxism is kind of a broad term you can use. I don't really care what flavor of totalitarian regime is being pushed. So it's uh, to me, it's like fighting over exactly how to call some hybrid of a bunch of things isn't really that important. The point is there are authoritarians who do believe in, who have a collectivist philosophical ideology and their implementations may vary, but that's what they want to place, replace individualism with. And that's very clear to me. Um, and it's the, it's the, um, closest ideology that you can point to in history that that to give you a blueprint for what it is i mean it's focused on power and hierarchy which is what marxism was focused on it's just that they define how you where you get your power in a different way you get your power from what identity groups you're in yeah so let's 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 dive in a little bit with with her i i there's something um not every she's actually hard. Uh, I think the Beauvoir is a little bit harder to analyze for a couple reasons. One is she there. There's context. There's historical context, which is much different than today. I mean, she's she wrote this in the forties, right? Mm-hmm. It was probably like in forty nine. You got to figure she's writing it mid forties. Um, there, the culture was a lot different. So some of the things that she's pushing against today. I was reading and thinking like, well, that doesn't happen. Like, that's not how marriage is. That's not how people treat each other. That's not how relationships are. But it may have been. But it may have been. Yeah, I I actually don't uh, disagree with her on a lot of things. I mean, some things I do, but. Right. I disagree with her approach, though, which we'll get to. Um, The other thing that was that struck me as odd is she explicitly said happiness isn't her goal for women. Freedom is. And. Uh, if you notice, freedom is the term that I said I'm not sure she has a full grasp of because she uses it while supporting socialism. So I'm not sure what exactly she means by freedom, but I think that we can 
take her at face value that happiness is not her goal. And Carrie, before we even dive into this, I I pulled up a couple studies that I I just want to throw out there so people are aware of this. She we ha- you, it's it's inarguable that feminism has achieved many of its goals. I know that third and fourth and N wave feminism thinks there's a lot more that needs to be done, but a lot of these goals have have been achieved, and society has at the very least shifted much more towards a at least second wave feminist mindset than in the 1940s when she was writing this. And let's take a quick look. I'm just going to cite two studies. Let's take a quick look at how women's happiness is in the West. One study is by Betsy Stevenson and Justin Wolfers from the Wharton School in Pennsylvania. And it's called The Paradox of Declining Female Happiness. I'm just going to read a little bit from the abstract. Uh Actually, the whole abstract is pretty good and it's short. By many objective measures, the lives of women in the United States have improved over the past 35 years. Yet we show that measures of subjective well-being indicate that women's happiness, happiness, excuse me, has declined both absolutely and relative to men, which is weird because male suicide is on the rise. So women are doing even worse. The paradox of women's declining relative well-being is found across various data sets, measures of subjective well-being, and is pervasive across demographic groups and industrialized countries. Relative declines in female happiness have eroded a gender gap in happiness in which women in the 1970s typically reported higher subjective well-being than did men. These declines have continued and a new gender gap is emerging, one with higher subjective well-being for men. Okay, so... Happiness wasn't her goal, and it was not achieved. And it was not achieved, yes. The second study I want to point out, just in case people are aware of it, I'm not going to read this abstract because it is very clunky. I I don't know if it's maybe this is translated from another language originally. I don't think so because these people are from Missouri. By the way, just just a quick aside. The other book I mentioned, The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan. Yep. In that book, she talks a lot about the problem that has no name is what she calls it. And it's this this malaise that women have, that homemakers have, because they haven't achieved cultural and social equality and they have to be homemakers and they're locked into this gender role that's socially constructed, et cetera, et cetera. And if the idea is if we if we could break out of this, then women would be happier. Right. But they're not. But, but women have been breaking out and they are not happier. So- the, the other study, I just really quickly, it's called the Gender Equality Paradox in STEM Education. And this is by uh, someone from the School of Social Sciences at Leeds Beckett University in Leeds and also someone in Missouri. So University of Missouri. Their finding here was interesting in, so STEM is the science, technology, engineering, math that we're kind of pushing women have to do or should girls should do more of this? We're trying to get more women in STEM. That's a that's a thing. And what they noticed is that although girls can do STEM, um, and and achieve and can be just as good at, or if not better than some boys in in the studies, what they noticed was that the more national gender equity there was the less women wanted to do STEM in the first place. So, so women are selecting out of STEM given gender equality. Like given the opportunity, they're selecting out more. The more they we're pushing for equality, the less, the, the less they want to be there. 
Does that make sense? Kind of. It does. It actually makes me think of a study that Jordan Peterson cites a lot. I, I think it was a different one, but it was about, uh, and, you know, the most egalitarian societies where men and there's the most equality culturally and socially and legally between men and women, that there's an even greater uh, sex selection among careers where you see women choosing to go into caretaker roles and making up right. the majority of the caretaking professions and men going into STEM and being most of the engineers, et cetera. Right. So Carrie, I don't know where you, where you want to start with this. We can kind of dive in. I've got some notes. I'm happy to, to say some stuff, but you're more the expert. So if you want, if you have a direction you want to approach this in. I wouldn't I'm, call me an expert. I'd say that my lived experience. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 um, why don't, I mean, this is kind of like I was saying to you right before we started going live, this is kind of a large book in retrospect. Like, would you want to just start going through the chapters? Well, like, where do your notes start? Because, Well, I, I do have chapter notes. I do well, have chapter notes. Really quickly, one, one other quick thing that she's known for, this is a quote that people may have heard of hers, is she, one of her most famous quotes is that um, uh, one is not born, but, but rather becomes a woman. Right. And that's, that's sort of the basis of a, a lot of gender theory, a lot of what we see now having evolved into trans theory can be traced back to that idea that, it, that there's no biological basis for what we know of as woman, that it's all a social construction. But yeah, actually, before I make my broad point, let me say something about that because uh, I, you're spot on and I was surprised at, at her the non-scientific nature of her argument. She basically appeared to look at other species and, and say, well, not every species reproduces sexually. And she, which is like, yes, but we're humans, lady. Uh, so like, not, not every species, not, not all species breathe air. That's true, but we're, we're humans. Um, so not every species, breathe, so that's one of her arguments that why like, the sexual uh, dichotomy isn't natural. And the other thing that she says is, well, because hermaphrodites exist, therefore it's not a natural state to have men and women, which is like so unscientific and retarded, only an existentialist could come up with it. So I I just want to cite that she 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 makes that argument that we think is ridiculous and modern she's making in 1949 right and 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 she's she's basically saying because and I'm going to use the word deformity not as a moral judgment but if you're born with six fingers that's a deformity humans their DNA intends for there to be five fingers I mean that's the norm right that's most people have five fingers that's why Right. So if you're born with six fingers or an odd tumor on your head or a missing limb or a hermaphrodite, that is a deformity. It's an it's an outlier from deformity only in the sense of the word that it is an outlier from the genetic blueprint for what is what typifies a human being. So the fact that there are outliers is not an argument against the overall categorization of someone as a human. Right or as a human with a or that humans have gender or that humans have no one would argue humans don't have hands because sometimes people are born without hands. That's not an argument. Uh, 
Sorry, I, I need uh, to... No, no, I appreciate that you did that. Um, well, the other, the other thing that she talks about pretty early on is this idea of uh, women being the other. And oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Please, yes, because that's the other thing I want to talk about. Yes, <laughs> that's so, the other so, thing. Ha. Huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's a that's a concept that that continues to this day. You will see SJWs using that phrase to this day. Um, it it was it, it stuck. This idea that um, groups of people can be defined in opposition to other groups of people. So. They, they, her argument and the, and the argument is basically the way that it's, it's transformed to the way that you see it reflected in SJW ideology today is that any of these so-called marginalized groups that they put people in are treated as the other, not as the norm, right? So that's where, that's where the term uh, heterosexist came from, for example, because they're like, well, we treat, we treat um, heterosexuals, we treat straight people as the norm. Therefore, that means we necessarily treat gay people as the other. And she, she posits that anytime there are two different groups and one has some kind of advantage, that they necessarily oppress the other. That yeah. they can't just it's have- considering She believes male and female are social constructs, but that's a separate issue. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't agree with that premise there that there's, um, that men, okay, men have some advantages, let's say group, as a group on the whole, in general, men have some advantages over women, uh, physical advantages, for example, in let's say when they're running track or it right. doesn't, those advantages don't necessarily mean that they oppress women. Right. I don't agree with that premise. So. Of course, of course not. Um, are you familiar with, so this, this actually, this other thing made me, when I'm saying other in capitals, this concept of the other made me think about something that it's really bothering me about this approach generally. You're familiar with like the idea of like relative motion of two objects, right? If you're on a train going one way and I'm on a train going the other way, we have like speed relative to each other. And if there's no third party, if there's no background and there's no um, sh like uh, external frame of reference, we don't really know there's like our speed can only be measured relatively. We can't say that train is going fast because we don't really know. We only know it's going fast in one direction relative to us. We don't know anything about the external frame of reference, right? Right. So I know that's a weird analogy to bring up, but I it's related sort of metaphorically to how I think she's viewing humans as a species. Because when I look at humans, I think, okay, well, roughly 50% of them are female and roughly 50% are male. Now, let's assume, I, this isn't true, but let's assume that each has their own complete society and culture, right? And they overlap just a slight way and you know, they interact a little bit, right? It's as if this one group, this member of this one group, this woman, Simone, is saying, well, all of society is that other group's perspective. And we're their other and blah, 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 blah. And my reaction to this approach is I could write a two volume book about how women view men as the other and how all of the society of women and because women have their own social organizations and social constructs and they're, you know, 
you go to women's Bible studies and women's knitting classes or whatever else. And, and even when there was uh, a much larger population of stay at home moms, they were communicating with each other and involved in education. And there was an entire world of child rearing and early education and, and uh, taking care of the home and family that men were not privy to and had no control over and were viewed as outsiders in. Um, and so it's weird because it's like, she's viewing everything from her perspective and she's giving males way more credit than they have. They're like, she's looking at the male group and saying that is society and they view us as others. That is not society. Society includes your group. You are the other half of society and males could easily make arguments that you view males as other. And I think the reason for this is there's a, it's odd for me to say this as a capitalist, but Marxists, socialists tend to be oddly obsessed with money. It's like they're really, really obsessed with who has money. Money is like the driving force of everything for them. And that's, I think, a, a, an unhealthy and distorted view of the universe. There are lots of... They say power, but I but, think a big but, part but of what they mean is money. Word. What does power mean? Yeah. Women have the power to reject sexual partners much more than men do, right? It's always the men who did the like courting and the women who said yes or no. That's a power that is in, the, in, the, in women's camp. Women know they have sexual power. I mean, no woman doesn't know that she has a lot of sexual power out in the world <laughs> against men. If she wants to use it against men, she can. I mean, maybe some of these feminists don't know this, which actually is one of the, re by the way, one of the things I like about her, what did she call? She called, she said lesbians occurred. I'm sure the third, the third waivers hate this. And I don't agree with this. It's just funny. Lesbians are what happens when women are unattractive and malformed. They turn to lesbianism. <laughs> that's an aside. I just thought that's, it was funny. That's what the SJWs would call problematic. Of course. Yes. I mean, it's wrong. I disagree with her, but. Yeah, this yeah. is a foundational text. However. <laughs> yeah. yeah, however, not that one. Anyway, do you, do you understand what I'm saying about like the, the perspectives here and why there's this maniacal obsession with, quote, power, but power can be defined how you want it to be defined. Yes, absolutely. Well, they, that, I agree with you. They say power, but they often, what they mean is, a big part of what they mean by power is financial power. Right, or, or, or political power, I'll grant them that. Political and power, finance. More raw power, that's true. But, you know, once, once we reach a point in society where we agree, all of us, men and women both, and trans people, <laughs> that political power should not be exercised differently based on your gender. That argument goes out. You can't then complain about political power after that. Then now, now it's, now you have to complain about some other kind of quote power. And I think that's largely economic. And you can see from her writing that she's very focused on economic and she is dismissive and derisive in her description of staying home, having children, raising children, educating children, being a mom. She, she, is, she views that, she seems to view that with a great amount of contempt from what I can tell. 
Yeah. Well, a lot of times I find um, these texts, these people who are arguing against racism or against sexism, but from this ideology to be very racist and sexist towards the people they're taught they're supposedly defending. So just like with the Peggy McIntosh, uh, white privilege knapsack. And as we're reading it, it's like, wow, you hold a lot of racist assumptions about black people. You're not really painting a great picture of black people here. Um, the same could be said for, for Simone in some of this, because she, she basically, she's kind of like, um, well, biology has, has we, we haven't risen beyond biology and the only way to achieve meaning in life is to is to rise above the animal kingdom and to not let biology limit us and men have done that <laughs> she's like men have gone on to create things and and you know have contributed to society and inventions and blah 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 and women have maintained this passive role tied to uh, childbirth and caretaking and as she's painting this picture, I'm like, she she even says she 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 talks about how Freud um, says that that women view themselves as a a, a damaged um, as a damaged version of men, and that she doesn't disagree with that, but she but she she says that that it's society that causes women to causes us to view ourselves as damaged versions of men. Well, I don't view myself as a damaged version of a man. <laughs> like what this this picture that you're painting of women is not very flattering. It's kind of sexist. That's what I guess that's my point. Oh is, yeah. I was surprised at how anti-female she seemed to be, Carrie. I mean, just to be clear, she does go through she she goes through um Freud and Plato and Hegel and some poetry and some fiction authors, and she spends the first part of her her treaties here basically poking holes in things they have to say or their conception of, of sex in society. And some of what she has to say is correct. Like she's accurately identifying problems yes. with, with their thought process. So that's fine. But she herself, I mean, at the end of the, I think at the end of the second volume, she talks about how women are narcissists and horrible and all these ways. And I'm shocked that this is where she's going. She's saying all these things about women that she would be executed for today. And, and then she says, but it's men's fault that women are these ways because uh, something or other, they have, do they have jobs basically? I mean, there's not really, cause, cause women have to bear children and it's men's fault. I, I, it, I wasn't clear. Do you know why it's men's fault exactly? Can you explain exactly why it's men's fault, Carrie? Again, it's just because she, she, she has the belief that if there are two groups and one has some type of advantage and she views the fact that men have, according to her, escaped their biology, I guess, um, that they have an advantage, then that necessarily means they are oppressors of the other group. But if you don't believe that, then this entire thing falls apart. It's not men's, it's not the fault of a, this particular group that this other group hasn't achieved, um, hasn't achieved the same the same uh, goals that you would like to see them achieve. Like, and and again, I agree with her in a lot. There were social at the time. There were a lot of social reasons why um, uh, 
women were not going into the workforce to the same degree as men or, or going to college. And it, definitely there were ideas about what, what roles men and women should fulfill in society. I just don't agree with her that those are entirely socially constructed and and that well there's a difference between arguing for setting up a culture that allows people the freedom to do what they want and setting up a culture that is angry when they choose things you don't like for example so she argues that she argues that um for example in one spot that girls play with dolls because of a whole bunch of social science crap about socialization and blah 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 right um and she argues that you know the that children only differentiate because of social interactions or sorry uh, social pressure that's just factually inaccurate that's factually untrue you can take a newborn baby I, they've done these studies you can take a newborn baby newborn females are more interested in looking at faces newborn males are more interested in looking at things there are differences in personality there are preference differences between the genders in general Again, on average maybe outliers it doesn't mean blah 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 but right. on average there are differences and well, so well the same thing there's a study with the capuchin monkeys you know about this one the mm. they i think it was baby capuchin monkeys they would give them trucks or dolls and the female baby monkeys preferred to play with dolls and the male baby monkeys preferred to play with trucks. Right. And they're not living in some social construction <laughs> of human right. invention. Right. They haven't riven above their animal nature. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of by definition. Um, yeah, but it's this, it, again, it's this difference between she conflates this idea of not prejudging someone because of their gender and saying they can't do something with uh, the expectation that every, they, they would, women would naturally be men and men would be women if it weren't for, you know, men being pigs, which is, I'm not I'm summarizing, but if you had to give an, a, kind of a summary of what her overarching argument and call to action is here, what would you say it is, Carrie? Well, after she ends with, like you said, talking about how <clears throat> because they're not allowed to be treated as individuals like men are and like children are, women are treated as roles like wife or mother, and that this makes them neurotic and narcissistic. <laughs> and she goes into how awful they are, <laughs> like you said. Um, at the end, she's kind of like, well, if we open up the, on a positive note, if we open up the 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 roles that we allow women to play, then that will go a long way towards making them free and making them, she doesn't, I guess she doesn't, like you said, she's not pushing happiness, but I think that's kind of implied here, even though she says that's not what she's talking about. Um, well, cause that's what people actually care about. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah. So because she says women are limited, we don't allow women to like, be innovative and to produce work and to be individuals and to, to be someone outside of these roles as they relate to men. We don't allow them to be anything but wife or mother or sex object. This, this is her belief. Um, and because of that, they're, 
you know, they're, they're oppressed, they're not free. And so we have to open up these roles. Again, I don't disagree with her on the broad strokes because again, we're talking about 1949 and we did open up those roles of what was acceptable for women to do. Um, I guess, I guess one of my thoughts about that now, though, what'd you say? Sorry, I, I, I agree that there was problems and that some of those are real things, but I still disagree with her approach of creating a gender war, which is basically even the language she used, she kind of believes that they're at, we're at war. Yeah, we're at war and also just the whole idea of oppression. I don't, I don't view, again, I don't view hierarchies as necessarily always uh, being about uh, corruption or oppression. And, and I also don't believe that, that because one group has a certain type of advantage that another group doesn't have, that that means that this group doesn't have advantages that this group doesn't have. There have been advantages to these hierarchies for both, and there have been um, marginalizations, yeah, disadvantages to both. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in fact, at one point she says, all, all, they expect all women to be altruistic in ways that are not required of men. And, you know, we could easily flip that on its head and say, well, uh, who, if there's a sinking ship, who is it that goes first? Oh, is it men? Is it men first? Is that the, is that the motto? I forget. Is it who goes to war and sacrifices their lives to protect you? Is that women? Right? So I, she, she cherry picks things that women are pressured to be altruistic about and ignores things that men are pressured to be altruistic about. Again, it's this weird one-sided it's this one-sided view of the universe rather than a view based around achieving equal moral status without necessarily having the exact same implementation of how people choose to live that status, right? Mm-hmm. You can choose to be a career woman and not have children and build a successful company and you should be the path should be open to you there. People shouldn't say you can't do it because you're a woman. They shouldn't treat you differently because you're a woman. They shouldn't not invest in you or scoff at you or whatever because you're a woman. On the flip side, if you go home and say, I would rather stay home and raise children because actually raising the next generation is one of the most crucial and important roles that society has. And it's more valuable than building a fucking shoe business or whatever the hell I was going to do. I'm going to do that because that's more important in the long run. Well, you you can't you can't marginalize, you can't criticize that. You can't say that's not her you know, living her power and expressing her desires and having the freedom to do what she wants. That is the freedom to do what she wants. Sometimes women, if they have agency, which they do, will choose things that feminists don't want them to choose. I have to say, I just looked in the chat real quick and uh-huh. somebody quoted Bill Burr back when he was, before he became, I think Bill Burr's become kind of an SJW comedian now, which is amazing, but because uh, he was so anti that for a while. But anyway, he just quoted Bill Burr. There are no feminists in a house fire. That is true. <laughs> that is true. In fact, for those of us who are in relationships, often if there's a large spider, there are no feminists. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 
the, the other, you know, and it, another interesting thing that she did, you know, as I said, she was, you know, pitting the, the sexes against each other. We talked about this, the othering. At, she went through, it looks like she did a pretty thorough review of lots of different societies in history and called out some admittedly, you know, misogynistic or, or bad behavior. Like I said, cherry picking though. But she also even criticizes the people who worship women. So she cites a tribe. She talks about um, some authors. And she basically also argues that, well, by worshiping women and putting them up on this pedestal and thinking they're great, that makes them the other. And so you're, you're still guilty of all of their problems. In fact, she ties that one to narcissism as well. Like you've made them neurotic and horrible because you've worshiped them. And it's this, from a guy's perspective, I can't imagine being a guy in her life who actually was, tr you know, trying to be what nowadays we would consider normal and treating her with equality. I can't imagine being a guy in her life because it seems like anything you did would be, you're, you're too nice to me. That's, that's hurting me. <laughs> you know, you're, that's oppressive. You're too mean to me. That's oppressive. Like what's not oppressive at this point? Only what? I'm not sure what's, what's not oppressive in her view. It seems like everything is oppressive. Every, everything. Well, yeah, to go back, she, she it necessarily is oppressive because she views men as, or she viewed men as being the group with advantages. And so therefore the other group is necessarily the one with disadvantages. This is, a, they have this very simple uh, binary in, in, SJW ideology where they put everyone into these groups. It's like you are oppressed or you're the oppressor. There's no gray area. You know, you are marginalized or you're privileged and that's right. it. And so it's funny, the thing we were talking about, uh, um, you and I, oh gosh, what was it we were talking about where I didn't notice the sleight of hand where they, they went from talking about the privileged to talking about the oppressor and you noticed oh. it. But see, I, I didn't notice it because they use those words interchangeably all the time. And she right. that, was that, Peggy. that was Peggy McIntosh. Yeah. So yeah. You, if you are advantaged, as Simone says, or privileged, then necessarily they take that leap and call you an oppressor. Right. Right. Um, she also, you know, another, she makes another point, which I think, well, it really bothers me as well, because I know there's a lot of women who are, well, I'll call them uh, without removing agency. I'll call them victims of, of second wave feminism who get past the childbearing age and are sad that they never had children and they've got another 30, 40, 50 years of their life to go. Right. Um, and, I've talked to some of these women. We, we're going to do right. a whole episode on this. Yes. Yes. I think we should. But the uh, Beauvoir basically said she laments that old women are faced with a lot of regrets. And she, she claims, I, I don't think this is just anecdotal. Like a lot of this stuff, there's anecdotal. She has one thing where there's a survey of some people, but uh, like, like almost all of this, this is just her own lived experience. But um, she, she says, she, she laments that these old women are, they have regrets for not being able to accomplish things beyond marriage and having kids. And that makes them generally frustrated. But she, and, and maybe that's true. I don't know. I, I would think if that's, if that's the situation, then they should probably readjust their blueprint because being in a loving marriage and raising great children is, 
frankly, I would, if that's all I accomplish on my deathbed, I hope that I'm not frustrated and, and sad, even though I am trying to do other things. But that's very valuable. She doesn't talk about the flip side, which these second wave feminists never talked about the flip side of that, which is, well, not having children when you're in your old age is even more depressing to many women. Not every woman. Some women, you know, they've got their international law firm that they founded and they run it into the till they're 94 and die. That's fine. But other women, many other women, buy into this idea that marriage, as uh, de Beauvoir seems to characterize marriage, marriage is oppression and being a mother isn't enough. It's not sufficient to, I don't know, become self-actualized or whatever it is. And so they, they shun that in their youth when their opportunity to get married is and have children is at its peak. And then when, when it passes by, at least the opportunity to have children passes by, they, they regret it. And no second wave feminist that I'm aware of says, hey, you know what? There's this other side of the equation here yes, you should go have a career and not feel held back if that's what you want to do. Also, if you choose to be a mom, that's a great thing. And actually raising children is super, super important. And I think the reason that she wants socialism is she wants to free women from the burden of ever having to raise children and she wants the state to raise them. I think I think that that is maybe uh, an unexamined motivation for a lot of uh, feminists feminist uh thought yes that, that that they because she talks about rising above the biology well how do you rise above the biology if you're a woman you have to be separated from the the product of reproduction of actual caretaking for children and um it's i don't know i here, here's my issue with it is, and i think we touched on this just a little bit but um i'm glad the second wave feminist revolution happened of course i am it opened up opportunities for me and for other women, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be living during a time when it's, it's uh, frowned upon for a woman to pursue art or career or, you know, whatever makes her an individual. So, but at the same time, I, I, I noticed there's this hesitancy to look at the consequences of things sometimes. And so, as you pointed out, women are reporting that they're unhappy in larger numbers than they were during the 60s and 70s. And so what is that about? It doesn't mean that it's necessarily as a, as a result of these changing social expectations or opportunities, but but why are we not examining that? And, and the other thing I think is that a lot of times when they talk about people being um, oppressed, I, I think what they're really just doing is they're mistaking, they're mistaking the, the condition of life. Like life it is oppressive at times. <laughs> often suffered suffering at times yeah yeah and so to say that that is a, as a it's a result of it's a unique thing to women because they're in this category without advantages and um if only we could get them up out from under the foot of the the man who by nature of his advantages makes him an oppressor if only we could do that then they would be happy and it's like well we've done that and uh women can do be whatever they want and they're actually unhappier so there's an element of unhappiness <laughs> to life. That's or, part of the human experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I, I joke with my wife sometimes when I'm having a bad day, I joke with her and say, you know, if I were religious, I would believe that God hates me today. Like it would just like just there. We have times in our lives where it just seems like the universe is against us and we're oppressed by everything and everyone around us. And the, sometimes there's maybe some grains of truth to parts of that, but it's not yeah. unique to women. It's yeah. that's being a human. It is against you. It's trying to kill you. You're going to die. Yeah, well, so, yes, actually, <laughs> nature does hate you. That's that's one of my. In fact, um, this is uh, a geeky, but I'll. It's geeky and a little bit personal about my family, but I'll share it anyway. Um, so I grew up in a very religious home, and we said grace every night. But we're all atheists uh, in my family right now, and um, we. I but I like the idea of like a family table and maybe thanking each other or being thankful for food or whatever. So we came up with a little uh, prayer. It's not really a prayer. It's a, it's a poem to thank the people who invented all of the ways to beat back nature from trying to kill us. And like, <laughs> I love make, like, like nature is our enemy. Thank you. All these people who figured out how to like rip corn from the ground and make vegetables and fruit and like, like do all these things and give us a roof, like all these, th all these inventions, these great inventions and this great progress from humankind. That's in response to the very real fact that, you know, if it's just you and nature, you die alone naked in the cold or eaten <laughs> by a tiger. Like that's how nature works. So yeah, <laughs> humans rise above nature because of our brains. The, our, our tool of survival is, rational thought and and beating back nature but yeah someone just wrote uh the origins of feminism pure hatred of men it does it does seem like that right because even though there's truth to what she's saying in some on some of these aspects like no one i don't want to live in no one wants the the mad men world back right no i mean maybe there are a few misogynists in the world who wish that workplaces were like madmen, but no one, no one really wants that. People have all accepted this idea that, yeah, we should be treated equally. We recognize that that's righteous and that's just, and let's leave it at that. But this is not driven completely by that. I think her, her approach here demonstrates that she's using very real problems to push an anti-male agenda and blame males for everything. And the fact that you can blame Males who worship women for the for women's narcissism is, I think, basically all the evidence you need to convict de Beauvoir of this crime. Yeah. Um, as we're reading this, it made me think of, I don't know if people stay and watch at the end of our daily Kefefe videos. We do kind of a joke. We read some SJW texts as a, as a sacrifice to the Google... <laughs> AI overlords, please don't delete our channel because we it 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 rose out of a joke that Carter was making about how they're training, which they are, they're training um, AI to go in and automatically flag certain content, and they're doing it by with a room full of SJWs <laughs> deciding what's acceptable <laughs> and what's not. So anyway, we started reading different SJW texts at the end, and um, I started reading. This is a book I read in um, my women's studies program, Scum Manifesto by Valerie Solanas. Now, th this is kind of, it's a manifesto and it's, as manifestos go, it's a crazy one. They're pretty crazy usually. Um, but it 
the reason there's a reason we read it in women's studies class. It it actually, even though she's using very coarse, crass language of the time, this echoes a lot of the feminist theory we were reading. It's just taken to a um, an extreme, and it's voiced in a really in a really crass way. And so, as we were reading this, I noticed um, Simone uh, de Beauvoir was saying, you know, women view themselves as damaged versions of men that society teaches them this. And so, all these things that she's saying about women, which is just so like that's a horribly sexist way to look at women. Valerie Solanas takes a bunch of that and flips it on its head and truly writes this about men. She's like, men are incomplete females. She calls men a walking abortion aborted at the gene stage because yeah. So it's, it, it it's Damn that white chromosome. Yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> if you take all of these things that she's saying about women, damaged versions of men, you know, um, narcissistic obsessed with themselves and just, horribly sexist i think to say i mean to view women as that and then but then to flip it this way and make it about men it's just i don't know it's kind of interesting well um by the way i should clarify good boy said i bet that first family dinner with your fiance at the time was interesting uh the it it was my, it's my wife and i who introduced my i'm not talking about my family of origin they don't do the the new uh thank thank you for beating back nature. My family of origin is still Christian. Uh, I'm talking about my now, my family now. Um, but Carrie, let's, um, you know, I know we wanted to go over kind of, I don't know if you feel we've done a good enough job of maybe we have, have we given a, a kind of good overview of who, uh, who Simone de Beauvoir was and kind of what the overview of her, what her message was really I don't think we've left anything out no, but I mean it's a very brief overview if if you guys get a chance and now I want to go back and reread the whole book because it, just to familiarize myself with it um but j just know that some of these concepts you're hearing about they have very deep roots so as Carter said this whole idea of lived experience being being somehow uh, just as important or now we're seeing it being offered up as even more important than facts and argumentation um, that that was in this 1949 book. She talked about lived experience, um, and this whole concept of the other is something else that that you will see in a lot of different feminist writing or SJW writing, and um, and I think she she can be credited with popularizing that. Yeah, and, and and I think just using the wrong standards to judge the world. I mean, to quote her, "This world has always belonged to males, and none of the reasons given for this have ever seemed sufficient." The world has not always belonged to males. Uh, a lot of land has belonged to males. A lot of the workplace has belonged to males, like it belonged in the sense that it was predominantly populated by males. But that's not the world. That is not the world. That is one aspect of the world. And it's important. But frankly, I think one of the things that we've, one of the ways in which we've gone horribly wrong in society is and and maybe we can blame second wave feminism for this. We have ignored the very important task of raising children. We've largely ignored it. And now we have children who are basically zombies programmed by educators slash the state who have no idea how to critically think. Slash pharmaceutical companies. Slash pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, they've it the state i mean look at go back some time and look at a high school examination 
from the 1800s. Most people with college degrees couldn't even get half of the questions right. right? The, the, the amount of lowering of standards and the, morph, the morphing of you know, creative, thoughtful, critical individual minds into drones has occurred, I think, partly because, not completely, but partly because we've not bothered to care too much about raising children. It doesn't mean, obviously, it's not everyone. I mean, some, there's been lots of brilliant people and there continue to be lots of brilliant, creative, smart, critical thinking people inventing things and doing stuff. But on the whole, I think there's been a decline. Um, let's kind of shift a little bit because part of this is, you know, we're talking about this kind of foundation of second wave feminism. How does this relate to, how does some of this relate to the social justice movement that we, that we talk about all the time? And I know parts of it don't. So for example, they hate the, her concept of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would, they would say that she's a homophobe or I don't think she, did she even talk about trans stuff at all? Other than to mention that there were hermaphrodites? No, not that I recall. She, no, but, th- but this became the basis of this idea that sex is a social construct became the basis of a lot of tr- what, what we now see trans ideology. So these things always piggyback on the, the previous one. It's always like, well, so-and-so had this right, but they didn't take it far enough and they didn't extend it to these groups. And so this is a foundational text that then people have expounded on. And the way it's related is, is I would say the most obvious way is, is that she um, puts people into groups and then assumes that one is necessarily oppressing the other and that one is oppressed. And so that is the basis of SJW ideology, which is they, they view the world as, as, as a place of competition between groups and those groups they define based on identity. And so they've just taken this men and women and they've expanded upon it. And they, and so they have the race like black and white, or they have um, size, you know, and now you've got fat studies and, you know, the people of size versus are the oppressed and, um, average size people or the oppressors or uh, yeah, they've, they've extended it out to sexuality. They've extended it to trans stuff. They've extended it to religion. Um, I mean, I've even seen people extend it to, we've talked about to mental disorders and it just, it just, it's never ending, but it's all viewed in the same way of like one of these groups is necessarily oppressing the other one. And I just don't, that's not the case. I don't believe that to be the case. And um. Well, and, and it's and it's inherently collectivist, right? Because it's groups don't oppress each other, individuals oppress each other, right? Like groups don't act really. I mean, yes, there's a summation of act- actions of an individual in a group, but individuals act, not groups. And not all men were oppressing all women, even when she wrote this. And very few today are oppressing oppressing women. So I've one criticism I've seen of her is uh, by the intersectional ideologues who argue that, yeah, yeah, she understood, because she actually talks about some of these groups. She compares women to uh, blacks and Native Americans and other, quote, marginalized 
classes of people. I think it was the how she. I think she viewed viewed them as classes. Um, but they their their criticism as well. She didn't see how they intersect. So being a black woman is. I don't know if I don't know if they have math associated with. Uh, I don't know if that's is that the square of being a woman and being black. Is your is it oppression squared or is oppression times two? I don't know, but certainly they this this concept of intersectionality allows for the stacking of these groups. Um, and they one thing she didn't do was stack stack these. Well, and there's there's no there's like you said there is no complicated equation there. There's nothing more complicated to intersectionality than them saying. I can rack up more oppressed group statuses than you. That's it. That's it. There, it, it, it's the belief that the more of these marginalized groups you belong to, the, necessarily the more oppressed you are. And the more of these uh, privileged or oppressor groups you belong to, that necessarily the more the more of an oppressor you are. So you can't say this is this is why they it it doesn't make any sense. But it, like take a take a mentally ill homeless white guy they would still say he's an oppressor <laughs> like it doesn't matter his situation or it doesn't matter which of these you know he, he does belong to some marginalized groups if he's homeless and he has mental illness or whatever but they but overall he's he belongs to these big oppressor groups like the the ones well, in your hierarchy for being in one versus the other yeah you get more points for being in some yeah. definitely and that's all intersectionality is. And so, and there is no equation. And that's why you can stump them by asking questions about like, well, like I, I saw a friend of mine yesterday was like, uh, I'm half white and half black. Like how many points do I get in each category? You know, <laughs> how do you judge me? Right. You know, guess what? Maybe we shouldn't be judging and ranking people based on race and sex. Right. It's a little complicated. From what I can tell, it looks like second wave feminism took this work and did the opposite of what they should have done, right? The the right thing to do would have been to take this work and say, well, here are some valid things that she's addressing. Let's focus on how to address those things and put them in a framework that is rational. But she made these other errors. So let's let's ignore these errors and let's not create a war between the genders. And there there isn't, you know, there isn't this uh is it, you know, sex isn't a social construct and, and here are her errors. We'll ignore the errors and we'll focus on the, the, the parts that she kind of got right or semi right. It seems like they did the opposite and they were like, we'll ignore the parts that she maybe did okay on. And we're just going to focus on the errors. We need more errors. <laughs> That's a funny way of looking at it. I don't know. That was my interpretation. Yeah. There's a our, um, discuss, interesting discussion going on in the chat, by the way. Hey, look, what's it? What's going on? Business isn't a Western world invention. I would agree. I don't know who's uh, arguing. Uh, business, I actually. Um, well, no, it? somebody was Bob saying. Ravikant says it the best way to, that I've heard. Like capitalism isn't invented. Businesses aren't invented. That's just the natural state of man. You do something and you barter with your neighbor about it. Like that's that's all capitalism is. So okay, but somebody's saying that business, in as it currently exists in the Western world, was developed by and for men. I would was, agree. With, I would agree it, with that. Uh, I, I, mean, would, I would disagree with that. Really? 
I would say no, because uh, I, would I agree that it was, so first of all, we have to define what we mean by business as it currently exists. I assume what they mean by that is, um, you know, incorporation laws and the idea of having a, a company and, and blah, blah, blah. Like I assume they mean the legal structure around a business because businesses have existed forever um, in, in, the, in the kind of philosophical sense. So I assume they mean the legal structure of a business that was created by men because men were creating the legal structures. To say it was created for men implies that it was created with the intent of own of excluding non-men intentionally, and I don't know the evidence for that. Uh, I don't. I think. I think it was is created, but not for a particular sex. It happens to be a tool used mostly by the male sex, but it wasn't created for them, right? There's not. There weren't company charters that were like, you know women suck and men are awesome. And you know what, like there wasn't, that's not built in. Let me see what the response is. Well, this isn't a value judgment on men creating it for men. I think it's just, I think this. Oh, per- I see the argument. It's yeah. it's made, it's not made for women because women have babies and babies puts a monkey wrench in the works. Yeah. Women but I don't think that's a function of how they're created. I think that's a function of the fact, like you can say the same thing about the hunter gatherer cultures, like hunting was created for men. It's like, no, men are just better at, for going hunting because they don't have to stay home and breastfeed. Like there wasn't a, it's not like, it's not like people got together and said, let's figure out a way to get a lot high calorie count that excludes women. I know hunting like that wasn't, that's not, it wasn't created. It was just men are more in, in general, men have historically been more uh, in a position and to, to do that more. Right. It's like saying breastfeeding was created. Like, Childbearing is created for women. Talking about how it came to be. It was created for men because they were the ones doing it. Do you see what I'm saying? It's created for men? No, I don't understand. I would agree it's created by men. Uh, But I don't know. I don't know what for men means. I don't think, I don't think men, I don't think men did this for themselves. I think they did it. I don't think men did this with sex in mind. I, I don't know. Look, if there's evidence. No, that I, I think I think the word for here is tripping, tripping us up because it's you well, would that men and women benefit of. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's not that's not, not the way I I guess that's not the way I'm interpreting it. Oh, well, maybe there needs to be a clarification. So I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and I know I know this person in the chat is not a crazy person. She's someone that we talk to often who has got her head screwed on straight. So maybe there's a miscommunication on terms, but um, you know, my, my point here is just uh, the, the idea that it was this, like that Western culture is this sexual or not sexual uh, sexist cabal of, of men. Like I know we'll build banks. Well, In fact, that'll screw not- with that's not what she's saying. So no, I'm not saying you, she's saying. I know. So we agree. So we all agree no, then. That's not, not what she's saying. Yeah, she's I know. <sighs> it's the word for. Yeah. So see, she said it's the word for that's tripping us up. Anyway, um, this is enough minutia of the chat. I'm enjoying it, but yeah, I know I'm enjoying it too. But yeah, that's I have to go to a place of business now. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so. Wait, do you have to for an hour? Should we do like a quick, is there anything else you want to say about how this relates to social justice? No, I said it before we got into the chat. Okay. So you're, you're done with the relation to social justice. I'm good. Okay. Well, do I you can have a be final done. point. 
No, it's a short, it can be a shorter episode. I can be done with it. Um, I would like people to tell us if they want us to move it to a different day, if they like or don't like this, because most of the people in the chat are people who are regular uh, listeners. So, um, and yes, C. Brown, who I, I know your name's not Charlie, because I know you're a woman, but I just, I view that, I read that as Charlie Brown in my head all the time. Uh, we will, uh, maybe I'll read the chat and try and figure out what you're saying. I'm reading bits and pieces because I'm, multitasking and I am horrible at multitasking. So as Carrie can attest to, I think. All right. Well, that was cool. That was, uh, that was Simone de Beauvoir. Her, the book is called the second sex and it was published in 1949. It was one of the foundations of second wave feminism. And that's where we see a lot of these lived experience and as Carrie pointed out, uh, gender as a social construct or sex as a social construct, a lot of that stuff is in here. So this is uh, this is not new. But Some it's light reading. Some light reading. We'll add it to <laughs> we could add this to our way down the road, our book club. By the way, book club guys, first week of August. Yes. You better get on it. Brave New World. Yes. All right. Well thank you everyone. Thank you, Carrie. I'm sorry that you have to go out into the oppressive capitalist workforce. It's, I'm going to a place that's designed for men. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> there are places designed for men. Cool. Yes. I'll, but, yes. Uh, many of them are, are not. All right. Later, Carrie. Bye. Bye. Wait a minute. That sounds like I'm going to a strip club. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone. Carrie does not work at a strip club. <laughs> uh, all the guys in the in the audience are like, oh, what club is that? Um, <laughs> Gotta go make that money. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my where are my singles? Um yeah, it's not, okay. not that you know, yeah. wait, wait. I just I thought of one thing as we were joking about this. Uh a point that I want to make. Many of the labor-saving devices that the quote misogynist patriarchal society invented as industry was being uh it was was coming into its own and we were you know in figuring out more mechanical devices and that kind of thing most of the first ones not, mo not most but like a lot of these were they invented device labor-saving devices for women first right dishwashers came before safety equipment for coal miners like there's a there was a they, there was a lot of things that this quote oppressive patriarchal society did in terms of taking that creative and inventive power these things that were supposedly made for men and giving it as gifts to women which i'm sure Simone would view as viewing women as the other and putting them on a pedestal and therefore being responsible for all their narcissism. And by the way, uh, and tying them to domesticity is what Right, ties them. Yeah, but since you don't have to do the dishes anymore, now you're more tied to the domesticity. I don't understand that argument too much, but I think she, she blames men for the blasé. She blames men, I think, for the fact that as society uh, progressed and standards of living rose, women had less to do and were bored. That's men's fault, I think, also, seems like. But anyway, on that note, uh, go to your strip club. I mean, <laughs> so you're totally legitimate place of work, Carrie. We'll, okay. we'll see everyone next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in.